the Bible values women, uh, despite what some might say. The Bible affirms women. It speaks of the role of women. It values and highlights what women can do and what they can't do. And so we should never, ever have the opinion that the Bible is sexist, that the Bible is against women. We thank God for the accomplishments of women. We thank God for what the things that women are doing in our society. But really, the, the Bible is out in the forefront on that matter. The Bible clearly speaks of the value of women. Some people think that if there are differences between men and women when it comes to the role in the church and also in the role in the home, that the Bible does not think or affirm the equality of men and women. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible teaches that men and women are different. And at the same time, the Bible says that men and women are equal. The Bible's not shy about talking about women. So you can read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you'll read about women in Scripture. They're presented as believers. They're also presented as sinners. They're presented as heroes or sheroes, whichever word you want to use, but they're also presented at, as zeros. They're presented as saints, and they're also presented as inks. Scripture does that. And we saw that when we marched through the Gospel of Mark. We saw that Mark took the time uh, in his Gospel to talk about Jesus' various encounters with women. Now, who can forget the time when Jesus' mother, Mary, thought that Jesus had lost his mind? that he was spending too much time, so to speak, at the church serving. And she called Jesus out along with other family members. But you contrast that with the woman in Mark chapter 14, the one who had the alabaster jar of perfume that was worth a year's salary. And she took that perfume and poured it on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, out of devotion to Jesus Christ. Who can forget Herodias and her daughter, who basically were responsible for John the Baptist's head being cut off. But at the same time, there were women who traveled with Jesus from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. They were present when he was crucified. They were present when he was buried. They were the first ones who came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus Christ, even though he was not there. So Mark talks about women, and he talks about women throughout the gospel because our Lord Jesus Christ encountered women. He valued women. He understood that women needed him that they needed to follow him, etc. 
So God's word, word has much to say about women. Good things about women and also some bad things. Today I want to introduce you and familiarize you with two women that are found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, verses 14 through 18, we are presented to the purple seller and the fortune teller. These are the two women that are in our text. And I want us to become familiar with them because scripture says that we can learn from the lives of others that we can learn from the people who are in Scripture, whether it's someone who is godly or whether it's someone who's not godly. We can learn from those individuals. So I'm praying, I'm, I'm trusting that God will help us to learn from this purple seller and this fortune teller that's found in Acts 16, beginning at verse 14. When you look at the story of these two ladies, it's connected with the fact that Paul is on a missionary journey. And God basically closes different doors for Paul so that he ends up going into Macedonia. And when he goes into Macedonia, he goes to a city by the name of Philippi. And as Paul is a missionary there, there's Silas, there's Timothy, there's even the writer of this book. The writer of Acts is none other than Luke, the physician. And so you have Paul, and you have Silas, you have Timothy, and you have Luke. They're there in Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, they choose to go to a particular location by the river. And the reason why they go to that location is they're hoping to find some individuals who would be open to hearing the word of God and who would be open to hearing the gospel message. Normally, Paul's methodology was to go to a particular place, try to find the synagogue, and then preach the gospel. But in this situation, we find out that Paul and the others don't find a synagogue. All they find is a place of prayer, and it's occupied by women. So, so Paul and his missionary friends, they're not looking to come to church to try to find a woman. Okay, Sometimes men do that. They felt, well, if I want a good woman, let me come to church. Uh, I don't know if that's true. If you'll find a good woman in church, you should be able to find a good woman in church. But Paul was not trying to do that. His strategy was to find individuals that he could proclaim the gospel to. And who better would be open to the gospel than people who had some kind of idea about God. And so Paul comes to this place of prayer. And it's women only. It's by the river. And there we are introduced to the purple seller. Meet Lydia, the woman who sells purple fabric. And you find that in verses 14 and 15. She's 
introduced as a certain woman named Lydia. This place had several women, but she's singled out. She's highlighted. Her name is Lydia. It's not a common name in that day. She could have been named after a geographical location. But Luke spends time on her description. He, he wants us to know something about this woman. So he describes her for, for us. First of all, he says that she was a seller of purple fabrics. That means she was a businesswoman. That, that means she was an entrepreneur, so to speak. That means that she was doing well financially. The context makes that clear. This was not some selling of fabric for poor people. Purple fabric was designed for royalty. In fact, in Luke 16, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it says that the rich man daily would dress up in fine clothing and purple fabric, so to speak. So this woman had a good occupation. She had a good job. And she would make available and sell and deal purple fabric. But Luke goes on to say that she was from Thyatira. Now, I know that probably doesn't ring any bells with you, but when we preached through Revelation 2 and 3, there was a church in the city of Thyatira that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to send a message to. So she was from that location, which was in Asia Minor, which is quite a distance from where she's at now in Philippi. So evidently, she pulled up roots, left Thyatira, came to Philippi, and that becomes the place where she lives. That becomes the basis of her place of business. Luke says she was a worshiper of God. And that might get us excited, but people can be a worshiper of God and not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. All this simply means is that this woman believed what the Jewish faith said about God. And what did the Jewish faith say? That there's only one God. There's not many gods. There's not a multitude of God. Jews believed in monotheism. They believed that there was one God and one God only. So, so Lydia embraced that. She embraced parts of Judaism. But, but please don't get it wrong. Lydia was dead in her trespasses and sins. So even though she was rich and even though she was religious, she had not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Luke takes particular steps to describe this woman to her. But, but the other description that is easy to miss is that Luke says this woman was listening. So that takes us back to the fact of verse 13, where Paul and the other missionaries are speaking to this, these women at the place of prayer by the riverside. And as Paul is proclaiming the gospel, Lydia is listening. She's using her ears to engage with the words that are coming out of Paul's mouth. 
She's not listening to her iPod, not listening to some device, not listening to the... She's listening to Paul as he preaches the word of God. And, And that is a wonderful picture, but it's not the complete picture. There are people who are looking, not listening, but, but Lydia could be said that she was listening with her ears. She was not pretending. She was not acting like a good church member or one attending the worship service. She was using her ears to take in what Paul was proclaiming. And so Luke moves from her description to her salvation. Remember, I told you she was religious but she did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we continue looking at verse 14, we learn about her salvation. And it's portrayed in a wonderful, magnificent way. It's said that the Lord opened her heart. It doesn't get too much better than that. Here was Paul preaching, and it was a faithful message. Here was Lydia hearing with her ears. But there are people who are exposed to preaching. There are people who hear the words that are being preached, but nothing happens. And and, and the only way that something can happen is if God intervenes and does something. It doesn't matter how good or great of a preacher a person might be. It doesn't matter if people do flips and shout and jump and run when you're preaching. It doesn't matter. It's not preaching that opened her heart. It was not her listening. She could have been taking notes. She could have been following the outline. She could have been following all the details of the sermon. That doesn't open your heart. God is the one who must operate and who must move. And we must never forget that. Sometimes we think we have the ability to open the hearts of people. I I wish I did, but I don't. Sometimes we get disappointed because people don't respond in a certain way. That's not our job. We don't have that ability. What we can be doing is crying out to God and say, God, open so-and-so's heart. Instead of saying, God, move so-and-so, or God, cause that person to smile and grin. No, God, open their heart. That's what is required in order for a person to be saved. And so in our evangelism, in our teaching of biblical truth, We can't rely upon our skills and our abilities. We can't rely on simply people listening. We need to rely upon God. How many of you prayed today that God would open hearts at our worship service? That's what we're learning from Lydia. That here she was, a good listener, Here she was in a good environment. Paul is preaching to her. But she singled out because the God of heaven and earth, the God 
who reigns in heaven, chose to come to a businesswoman who's sitting by the riverside listening to a message. And, and God, the infinite God, the, the holy God, the other God, was aware of Lydia. He was aware of Lydia's condition. And he was aware that it wasn't enough for Lydia just to hear. That it wasn't enough for just for Paul to preach. There needs to be the divine intervention of God. God opens hearts. Salvation is not some work of man. It is the work of God and God alone. Does he use preaching? Yes. Does he use listening? Yes. But in that context, he opens hearts. So preaching alone is not enough. Listening alone is not enough. God is the one who opened their hearts. And the result was that she responded to the things spoken by Paul. That's the ultimate response. <laughs> when the word of God is preached and taught, you want people to respond. But that's God's work. Paul, you be faithful. Listener, you be faithful in listening. But rely upon God to open your heart so that you might respond to the things that are being spoken. And so Paul talks about her salvation, and then he goes on to talk about her baptism. We know her salvation was real because of the fact she got baptized. And, and, and the, the implication of Scripture, the only reason why she got baptized, because she got saved. Now, I realize that unsaved people get baptized. I hope I haven't done that myself, but I do realize that is a possibility. And sometimes when I'm in the baptism waters and I'm talking to you about baptism, I, I remind us of the old saying of old folks, that a person go down a dry devil, devil and come up a wet devil. Because the waters of baptism don't save you. They don't change you. But for those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ, they get baptized as their pledge of allegiance. Now, we were taught the pledge of allegiance in our school and to do it toward the flag in our country. But the Christian's pledge of allegiance is they get baptized. And they openly declare that they are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So she got baptized. Her household got baptized. And this again tells us that she was rich, that she had resources. She had a household. No mention of a husband is given. So it could be that her husband had died or she was a single woman who prospered as a businesswoman. So they got baptized too. Not because she simply believed, but the understanding is that they heard the gospel, they repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ and got saved. And after getting saved, there was a time period where 
Lydia and her household got saved. But there's something else that Luke feels like he needs to tell us about Lydia, and that is her hospitality. He says that she got saved. She, he says that she got baptized. But now he brings in the idea of hospitality, and that might be, seem strange to us. Why would you link salvation and baptism and hospitality together? I think if I change the word hospitality to the word love, you would understand what is being done. Because you do link salvation and baptism and love together. That's what we've been learning in 1 John. That if you have a genuine salvation from the beginning, you've heard, you've been taught, you are to love the brethren. We see this example in Lydia. She gets saved. She gets baptized. And amazingly, she shows her love by wanting to extend hospitality to the missionaries. And she literally pleads with the missionaries, begs them for the opportunity to show hospitality. Luke says in verse 15, she urged us, she begged us, she beseeched us, she pleaded with us for the privilege of hospitality. She got saved. She wanted to show love to her, her brothers and sisters in Christ. And she understood that hospitality doesn't just come out of nothing. Hospitality comes from a person who is devoted and faithful to the Lord. And so she says to these missionaries, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, She's not looking at her own life and saying, I'm faithful to the Lord. I love the Lord. No, she's looking to the missionary. Those are more mature than her. And she's saying, if you missionaries have, can evaluate my life, and if you can find that I'm committed and devoted to the Lord, if you can appraise my spiritual condition, it doesn't matter how you evaluate yourself. It really matters how those who are spiritual evaluate you, those who are mature in the faith, how they look at your devotion to the Lord. Most of us think we're devoted to the Lord. Most of us think we're committed to the Lord because we come to church maybe once a week or maybe we serve in the church. But that doesn't mean you're devoted to the Lord. People can go through all of the external outside things and not be devoted to the Lord. So she says to these missionaries, if you have considered me as one who's devoted and committed to the Lord, then stay in my house. What? What do those two things have to do with each other? If I'm devoted and committed to the Lord, then I want to practice hospitality. But the reality is those two go together. She understood that. That you don't separate devotion to the Lord from hospitality. 
And so evidently, they listened to her words, her pleading, her begging, and they came away with the conclusion, Lydia, you are devoted, you are committed to the Lord. And after her much urging, her begging, her pleading, Paul says she prevailed upon us. She got her way. And the end result is that they stayed in Lydia's house. She opened up her home to these missionaries. There was no Hyatt. There wasn't even any Motel 6s or 8s. The Christian missionaries relied upon the kindness and hospitality of other Christians. Somehow she got this. Somehow she understood that when you get saved, you're supposed to love the brethren. And she was showing her love to these individuals who brought her the gospel by saying, be guests in my home. Stay with me. And when you finish reading Acts chapter 16, you come to verse 40, you find out that the church that came into existence in Philippi, you know where they met? Not at Fairview Heights Baptist Church, not at Philippi Baptist Church. They met in Lydia's home. That all sprung out of her hospitality, her love, and her devotion. Have you met Lydia? You have, if you learn from her life, in order to be saved, a person's heart must be open. I hope we never, ever forget that. I hope we don't think that our evangelistic skills are so persuasive, so good, that we don't need God to move on a person's heart. That's nothing but the flesh. You can convince somebody, you can win somebody, and if God is not in it, it ain't of God. And the evidence will be there. But from Lydia, if you know her, if you met her, then you'll know that God must open an individual's heart in order to be saved. And can I just apply that to our lives for those of us who are Christians? In order for the word of God to be meaningful to us, in order for the word of God to be significant to us, we need God to operate on our hearts. Not to open it so that we'll believe the gospel, but in the sense of what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. Open my eyes, God, that I may behold the wonderful things in the word. I don't have that ability to open your eyes. I hope I'm not a hindrance to your eyes being open, but that ability doesn't lie with me. And that's why the psalmist cries out and prays, God, open my eye. Perform a divine operation on my eye so I can see the, the wonderful things that are in your word. I'm blind. I can't see it. I come to the word even as a Christian and can't see it. And I need God to do something in my life to open my eyes. 
And no wonder Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18 that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Something within has to take place. Have you met Lydia? You have if you learn from her life that water baptism is the pledge of allegiance for the Christian. You say you're a Christian? You say that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? That you've repented of your sins and put your faith in him? Have you been baptized, not as a baby, not as a person before you understood even what the gospel, have you been baptized since you have been saved? Are you willing to pledge your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you met Lydia? Have you learned from her that a life of faithfulness is observable and recognized by other people? People who are spiritually mature, people who are your leaders, your advisors. Don't think that you have it all together on your own. Don't think, well, I'm faithful, I'm committed, I do this, I do Ask others to observe and to evaluate whether or not you are faithful to the Lord. Because we can so easily deceive ourselves into thinking, I'm faithful to the Lord. And particularly we can do that when we serve. I'm a preacher. I must be faithful to the Lord. That doesn't mean a thing. It should, but that doesn't mean that I'm faithful to the Lord. So I can get up before people, whether it's teaching or singing or whatever the case might be. That is not the only mark or evidence of being faithful to the Lord and devoted to the Lord. Yes, we want to give our life away. We want to make sure that we are used by Him. We, we, as the song said, our, our plans, our, our goals, we put at His feet. But that's easier sung and said than reality. Do Have I taken my plans, my goals, and put, him, put it at his feet? Or am I living life my way? Am I doing my own thing? Understand that faithfulness to the Lord is recognizable. It is observable. Also, I would ask you, have you met Lydia? Have you learned that the fruit of salvation is love for the brethren? It was in the life of Lydia what flowed from her devotion to the Lord, what flowed from her salvation was love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. And in her case, the concrete showing of hospitality. Using her home because she loved, quote, strangers. Loved those who were, she didn't even know who they really were. 
She was a hospitable woman. And it's interesting to note that when the Bible talks about the qualifications of a leader, a pastor, one is he's hospitable. He loves strangers. He's willing to use his home, not for his own enjoyment, but for the benefit and the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here is Lydia, a businesswoman, religious, going through the, the formality of listening to the word. But God opens her heart. And the result is that she pays attention to the things that are being spoken by Paul. Fairview, one of the things we need to do from this day on, before every time we have a worship service, every time there's a Sunday school class, every time there's a Wednesday night Bible study, every time uh, there's an aspect of our worship service like singing or praying, etc., that we are praying and crying out to God, saying, God, open the heart of those who have gathered together to listen. Thank you for coming to the worship service. Thank you for listening. But that in and of itself is not going to result in what God wants. And so we need to be praying. We need to be crying out for those in our midst, for ourselves, that God would be gracious to us. God would be kind to us. Because our hearts are closed, is what the scripture is saying. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your heart is closed. And I can't open it up, up. I can't pry it open. And I don't care how much you listen, that's not going to open it. It takes a divine operation of God. And even for those who are saved, how critical, how important it is. Not to get people to respond so that, oh, they like the message, they like the sermon. No, but that they respond by being doers of the word and not hearers only. So God, open our eyes that we might behold the wonderful things that we see in the life of Lydia. So that we might understand that if you don't move, you don't operate on the hearts of the people of God, they will not give the proper response. God, open our eyes so that if I am a genuine Christian, I'm willing to pledge my allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ by being baptized in water. God, open my eyes so that I really do understand that I'm committed and devoted to you. Help me, God, to prove my faithfulness so that others can observe it and see that it's real and genuine. And God, open my eyes so that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, so that this salvation that I profess 
this baptism where I pledge my allegiance to Christ shows itself in love and even in hospitality. Well, if you want to learn about the second woman, the fortune teller, come back this time next year uh, because I am not going to try to do that, even though I'm prepared to do that, but I'm not going to impose that upon you. I think Lydia's life is enough for us to see what God wants to say to us. So let's pray together. Father, help us to realize that our coming together is in vain unless you are at work. Father, open hearts that have been closed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help people to pay attention, to give attention to, to heed the gospel message, to repent of one's sins and to put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be gracious to us. May it be said of us that we are faithful and committed to the Lord. May that be observable by our spiritual leaders. May that be observable by those who are more mature than us. Work in our lives so that we are devoted and committed and sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just one day out of the week or one time out of the year, but each and every moment of our lives may it be said of us that we are devoted to the Lord. Father, help us to love. May that love manifest itself in so many, many different ways. You're not calling upon us to birth a church or to house a church, but you are calling upon us to love one another and to be hospitable to each other. So God, would you open the hearts of those who are dead in trespasses and sins so that today might be the day of salvation for them. And Father, would you open our eyes, those of us who have already put our trust in you, so that we can behold the wonderful things that are in your word and take heed to the things that your word is calling upon us to do. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your enablement to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.